Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm your host, Jason Hammonds, and I am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with cartoonist Liana Kangas. You'll know Liana's work from books like She Said Destroy, Seeds of Eden, and True Cult. Before we get into that, though, let's, uh, let's talk about something I've been learning. Actually, no, the first thing that I want to talk about before I talk about something that I've been, you know, learning and ruminating on and thinking about uh, is the new music. You heard it right up top and you'll hear it uh, throughout the show. Uh, composer Chris Ryan, who is an amazing, amazing composer and a, a dear friend of mine, uh, made a, a new theme song for the show. Uh, so that's that's going to be the, the sound you hear as uh, as the show goes forward uh, in every future episode. I'm so happy with it. Um, you know, Chris... Uh, uh, is seriously one of my favorite people in the world. Um, he's such a talented composer. This dude's this dude's charted on the the Billboard charts. He's you know won the the Steve Kaplan Award, which is a big deal in the world of music. Uh, if you don't know, you you might know some of his work. He worked on movies uh, that comic book fans would love, such as Mortal Kombat, Hellboy, Shazam, uh, many more TV shows and movies. He is an absolute just gem of a human being and a really, really talented uh, uh, composer. Um, you know, if you listen to uh, podcasts such as my girlfriend's podcast, Scary Stories to Tell on the Pod, uh, the theme song was composed by him. Um, he also, you know, composed the themes for the podcast Lost, Dig Your Own Grave. Uh, I mean, like, truly just this this guy, he's, he's endlessly talented. You're like, wait a minute, the dude writing all that spooky music is the same dude doing the music for this? I know, isn't that crazy? Um, anyway, let's... Uh, Let's get on into the show. The uh, the thing I want to talk about today, I, you know, as ever, don't really prepare much other than something that I've just sort of been thinking about. And uh, this is something I feel like I must have, like, talked about it at some point in an episode before, but it's always something that comes back up. Um, and that is just the difference between plot and story. Um, I think it's something that a lot of young writers and something that I often sort of uh, lose sight of or get confused Um is, is sort of just like, what should you be focusing on when you're writing? And obviously both things are important to some extent, but ultimately most people do not engage in stories uh, because of plot, right? Like people will think of, you know, Christopher Nolan movies for their, you know, incredibly uh, elaborate plotting and their sort of complex structure or whatever. Um, but that's not, that's not why we love those movies. You know, I can think of a dozen movies off the top of my head that have you know, complex plots, but don't have very strong characters and therefore are not very satisfying. You know, I mean, if you want a lot of plot, you can watch something like Jupiter Ascending or whatever, you know, like something that is very convoluted and does have a lot going on, but ultimately people don't invest in. Um, and that's that's because really, you know, the, the reason that we engage in those complex plots is because we are feeling, uh, you know, empathy with these with the characters that we see go through those things. Right. And that that's the core difference between plot and story. Plot is what happens and story is what happens internally. Story is is tracking the change uh, within the characters or the world, right? Story is the emotion. It's, it's the, the heart of all of it. Um, and plot is just sort of the vehicle that we use to get through it. Um, and so when you're structuring your story, you know, a lot of people will start to write plot out their story based on 
what happens and, and sort of, you know, the progression of what they want and action scenes and whatever. Uh, and I think the place to make sure that you're starting before you get to all of that stuff is like, what are you trying to say with these characters or with these events? What are you, what's the, the journey emotionally that you're trying to go on here and then find a plot that can fit that, right? Again, this is, this is sort of a thing that I'm like going through and trying to learn right now and, and trying to like do a better job of, um, of a pilot that, uh, I'm in the, the process of revisions on right now. And that's kind of the big focus for me right now is that I tried to, I tried to cram a lot into, uh, this one, you know, 30 ish page, 35 page script. Uh, and it frankly just ended up being too much. Uh, and, and the big note that I got back was like, you know, this, this feels like the, the, the third act of this pilot feels like the third act of, you know, a season finale rather than the third act of a first episode. Um, and not so much in like that there weren't, you know, question marks and things going forward, but just that it felt like there were emotional journeys being concluded that uh, should be given proper time to happen, right? That there's a lot of things that are too rushed and, and the value of those things can be better earned if they are, you know, sort of spread out over, uh, you know, a, a, a larger period of time if they're sort of given you know, more, more gardening per se to, to kind of like help it grow. Um, and that's something, you know, like in, in my writing, I tend to try and make things hyper compressed, uh, more so than decompressed. You know, I've, I've made a conscious effort before to try and, you know, give a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak, and, and, and sort of write in a, in a very, very quick hitting, fast paced manner. Um, and that can be fun. And I think it's a good exercise, but ultimately in terms of satisfying stories, uh, there, there is something to be said for decompressing it and for allowing people to live in the world of your character and, and experience whatever their journey is, uh, on a sort of more sustained pace rather than, you know, like getting through all of it or getting through a large portion of it right away to just say, Hey, look, like, you know, there are five different traumatic things, you know, or, or life changing things happening to this person within the space of, you know, one story. Why don't we just make it one or two? Right. And, and explore the depths of those things rather than having to move into the next thing before we've really had time to like explore the implications of the first thing. Um, and so ultimately all of that go comes from like really making sure that you are giving proper time and attention to the emotional journey of your character uh, and that the audience, that your readers can, can go along with you in that. Um, I know I've been comparing things to like movies and TV shows a lot lately and that's, you know, just a side effect of where like my creative brain has been lately. I've been, you know, focusing a lot more in the um, screenwriting and TV writing uh, uh, section of my career for the past couple months. Um, and obviously my day jobs are in that industry. So, uh, it's, it's been where my, my, you know, brain lies, but storytelling in general is universal, right? I mean, it's, you'll find the same thing in, in a comic like saga, which I greatly admire, which is like, you know, that's a, that's a plotty freaking comic, right? Like you've got so many characters that you're tracking in saga, uh, whether it be the will, whether it be, uh, Marco and Alana or Hazel, uh, you've got your, you know, the journalists, you've got like all of these different characters that we're tracking and a lot of very complex things that we're tracking them through. But ultimately the, the reason that we're invested in that is because we have taken time to get to know these characters. And in every single scene, you know, that you're reading throughout Saga, 
it's not focused on the what of it all, right? It's not focused on the complex machinations of the war between, you know, the, the um, oh man, it's been so long since the new issue of Saga that now I'm starting to forget, you know, the, the, the let's see, Landfall and, um, oh man, the Moonies and the, you know who I'm talking about, the people with the horns and the people with the wings. Um, you know, but it's, it's not about the complex machinations between those governments. Generally, we don't, you know, especially early on, we don't know that much between, you know, about like that stuff. What we do know is that Marco and Alana love each other and that they have a child and that their homes are very conflicted, that they're, you know, they're, they're in entrenched conflict and Marco and Alana are going to do whatever they can to protect that child from, you know, the sort of war that is going on with their people and their families and whatever. Uh, and that's why we care. That's why we care to go from planet to planet and, you know, watch all of these crazy sort of space lasers happen. And that's also ultimately why we care about, like, whatever the hell the will is doing is because, I mean, first off, this is a person who may possibly, you know, kill Hazel or, you know, like, kill Marco or Alana or both or take them in, depending on, you know, which point in the story you're at. He's got all these different goals. But then we start to get more and more invested in what his story is, right? It's not for, you know... 10 issues in or whatever that we start to really see what his life is and what's driving him. But we, we start to get invested and see all these things. And ultimately, again, none of this is coming from plot plot helps, you know, it, it helps to deliver the story through an effective vehicle, but you know, it could be a lot of different things and it would still work as long as the emotion rings true. Um, you know, and so in, in comics, we tend to focus so much on genre. We tend to focus so much on spectacle. You know, I definitely do. And it's easy to lose sight of, of why we read these stories in the first place, you know? Why is Peter Parker such an amazing character that will never not be beloved, right? Peter Parker is an amazing character because we empathize. You know, he's a, a, a young guy like many of us who, you know, doesn't come from, you know, wealth, which, you know, I've... It, to, from my knowledge, from my experience, most of us do not come from wealth. He's got a very, you know, sort of conflicted and, and complicated home life. He's, you know, just, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, trying to, like, keep himself afloat, trying to learn, pursue a good career, trying to, you know, find love and have, like, a stable life. And things just keep getting in the way, right? And so, like, for all the the spectacle and amazingness, you know, to, to sort of use the superlative, that comes with being Spider-Man and comes from that sort of genre element of the of the story there have been you know countless superheroes who have had just as cool if not cooler uh you know powers and costumes and you know villains and whatever in worlds but ultimately like it's really hard to write a character and and you know draw and tell a story with a character that is stronger than peter parker it's a very hard thing to do uh and most people fail at it myself included um and so that, that's, that's just something to keep in mind, right? Like, we love Spider-Man for the costume. We love the web-slinging. We love the colorful villains and the sort of, you know, crazy world. But ultimately, we love Peter Parker um, or Miles Morales. Both of those characters, I think, are, are incredibly well-written. And Miles is an example of one of the few times that someone has written a character that stands up to Peter Parker in terms of complex characterization. Um, you know, and so keep that in mind. As you're, as you're writing and drawing and making comics, like make sure that for all of the spectacle and all of the like hooky reasons for why, you know, we would key into the story about, you know, I don't know, space barbarians or whatever, like 
make sure that that story is there, that integral element of like, what is the heart? What is the change that this character is going through? What's the lesson they're learning, you know, or, or what's the change in lesson that the world around them is learning? Um, you know, that, that there is something universal there in their emotional journey that will allow us to sort of go, you know, through whatever the plot is also not for nothing, but like, do your best to keep the plot simple. Uh, that's just an effective thing, especially, you know, the earlier you are in your career, the more wrenches and complicated elements you throw into the plotting, the less communicative the story itself is. This is a lesson I have and continue to learn. This is part of the the notes that I've been getting on, you know, my own stuff. Uh, the simpler you can make it, especially if you're trying to make, you know, uh, if you're trying to do a, a funny story, um, the simpler the plot can be, the easier it is and the more effectively the audience will cue into um, your storytelling itself and, and you know, feel at one with whoever your POV character is. Um, comedy, it's it's almost essential that the plotting is is, is simple and communicative. Uh, and I think, honestly, in general, it, it's just always going to help you to simplify your plot. Find out, you know, look, look throughout your plotting, find the elements that might be double beats, the elements that might be unnecessary, you know, the plot twists that aren't really doing anything for your character's journey, uh, you know, things that are unnecessary, right? Like, you know, if, if you've got like a whole plot divergence where people go to this one place and do this one thing, if that's not doing anything for them emotionally, if that's not revealing something about who they are, maybe just cut it, you know? It's probably a cool sequence, you know? They're, I don't know, chasing, chasing, you know, gambling, you know, whatever, uh, uh, sharks, loan sharks? There we go, that's the word. Chasing, you know, loan sharks through a cyberpunk city so they can get off planet and, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, return a jewel to, you know, some long-lost whatever. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm coming at the top of my head, shut up. Um, you know, if, if like if, if that's not doing anything for your character, if that's not doing anything for the thematics and emotional journey of your story, just freaking cut it. You can find another, you know, place to put the the you know cyberpunk loan shark scene. Um, but anyway, that's that's sort of my freeform ramblings for the day. Uh, it's been about fifteen minutes, and I feel like that is plenty of time for my half-baked uh, ramblings on lessons that I think I'm learning. Um, you know, as always, if you have any uh, thoughts on that, feel free to send them my way through uh, Instagram or Twitter at TMBC Workshop. Um, but I, without further ado, I think it's just time to hear from Liana Kangas, don't you? Um, uh, as a reminder, make sure that you, uh, you know, follow Liana at uh, Liana Kangas on Twitter and Instagram. And also, as a reminder, this episode, not even a reminder, this is a new sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Gold Union Printing. Uh, they are the printers of such fine books as Death Note, The Art of Final Fantasy, The Walking Dead, The Wicked and the Divine. Uh, I freaking, I, I really tongue twisted that one. The Wicked and the Divine. Um which is a great book, Karen Gillan, Jamie McKelvey. I'm sure most of you have checked it out, but if you haven't, make sure you check it out. Uh, uh, Gold Union Printing is great. They they have options for you know every price point. They have options for all types of, of book printing. Um, they are absolutely wonderful. If you've got a you know like uh, various, I, I know all sorts of us are like doing Kickstarters and and you know that kind of thing now, whether it be for comics, uh, graphic novels, you know, black and white uh, or art books, right? Like recently I, I kickstarted both of Elsa Chartier's art books that are absolutely amazing. Um, whatever the project you're doing, you know, if it is a, if it is a print, uh, project, you know, if you're trying to put 
pictures onto a page in any kind of way, or even if you're doing, you know, flyers, uh, if you're doing, you know, stickers or whatever, any of that kind of thing, uh, check out goldunionprinting.com. Um, and in fact, we, we have a little bit of a, a deal for you. So, I mean, first off, you can go to bj.goldunionprinting.com and that'll get you an instant quote. You can sort of figure out what the price point you're looking at for whatever project you've got. But if you use the promo code Comic Book Workshop, that's you know just like it shows up on your podcast feeds, uh, no caps. You've got the spaces still; it's not one word. Um, you can get five percent off your order uh, by using the promo code Comic Book Workshop. Um, and if you're someone who's attending Emerald City Comic Con, uh, then you can throw in the code E C C C or E C C C twenty twenty one for an extra ten percent off. So if you're a listener of the show and you're going to Emerald City sweeten up the deal for you um but uh otherwise just use comic book workshop and that'll get you five percent off at goldunionprinting.com so for all those creators out there like myself that are looking to uh you know get some some work into the hands of those hungry hungry readers um check it out and uh, get your books out into the real world without further ado here is my interview with liana kangas thanks for having me I'm so of excited. Of course. <laughs> no, I'm excited to have you. Uh, uh, I guess to start off the, the interview, you know, every, it's it always surprises me uh, what question I ended up starting with because I write down a bunch, but I don't actually have like a game plan. Um, and I, I think one thing I, I want to start to ask about is is right before we were uh, we started rolling, you were saving a Photoshop file, which just sort of reminded me of the amount of times I have to wait on my computer to uh, uh, fully finish rendering some large format <laughs> file. And so I guess my biggest question right now is, is obviously you work digitally. What is your setup? What are you working with? So I have, uh, that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that, by the way. It's really cool. <laughs> hey, I'm so excited already. You yeah, know? <laughs> uh, I have a newer iMac I want to say it's like two or three years old, maybe okay. uh, my last one, I think from like 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? You are absolutely allowed to curse. Okay. I love everyone always asks me and I'm like, yes, fuck yes. <laughs> um, so my last iMac shit the bed during a Twitch stream, oh, um, no. literally like the, uh, I, I want to say it was the uh the entire motherboard like crashed or something Oof. like that so i was able to recover everything but i was like okay well number one thank god i do uh the thunderbolt time machine thing or whatever right. and two i was like i guess i'm stuck with mac products for forever because everything's just like mm-hmm. <laughs> together and reliable i don't yeah. know you know <laughs> it, it all relies on each other and there's not really a way to like plug in like a windows product in the middle of sort of a mac workflow right. Or something. And it's kind of nice that like you don't have to connect your iPhone anymore. You can just like everything's it's Bluetooth and syncs <laughs> to the cloud and and so I also work on a Cintiq. It's a mm-hmm. twenty seven inch. It's one of the okay. big boys yeah, that's from a like a big long boy. time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was from two thousand fourteen. They I don't even think they make that model to be honest. Wow. Part of me a wants a smaller one. Yeah, an old vintage. <laughs> it, he's. He's like a little box, like he's pretty massive. So <laughs> I actually have, uh, I'll show you, I have this absolute unit sticker on it. Ooh, yes. Very nice. Big old Garfield. Yeah, yeah that's very good. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I'm i always a little jealous of the people that work in with Cintiqs. Like I, I work in animation and, and I work specifically in the story department. And so every board artist that I work with is like, all they're all on Cintiqs. They all have like a very sort of nice setup. And like when I do 
my comic stuff, my surface is just out of reach, but I just have a surface that's like a, you know, like 13 inch screen. Surface? Yeah. Oh, it's, rad. it's nice. I like it a lot, but it, every model for some reason, every generation they release of the surface, the pen is a little worse. They improve yeah. the pen, but it actually is worse. My and friend from high school, she like lives and dies, like will die for the surface. I'm mm-hmm. like, why? Because I see her struggling with it every time. It's the pen. Yep. It's the pen. What's going the, on with that pen? It used like, to be good. I, I had a Surface Pro 3 and the pen was very good. It was just that the RAM in the thing couldn't keep up with Photoshop. And so yeah. I would always have this thing where you'd like do a brush stroke and then it takes two seconds for it to render and it was just unlivable. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just get the new Surface that just came out and that'll fix everything. And the RAM's a bit better. But now I just like my pen, the accuracy is all over the place and it's... um absolutely maddening and so now i'm like committed to being like okay i'm just i'm saving up for a cintiq and that's that's just what it's gonna be yes um, <laughs> you're going over to the dark side <laughs> do you so in your in your workflow how i mean how much of your process is digital is there any of your process at this point like are you thumbnailing on papers or anything like that or is it 100 digital i actually really really love doing layouts on paper so for like all of uh devil's die and part of tk true cult mm. and um a couple other things like i primarily actually the first issue of she said destroy too like i primarily did on paper uh-huh. and then scanned it in or like if somebody needed to see it you know sure. um but i actually i do a lot of layouts on my ipad now too oh, just because it's like uh yeah okay. i love procreate um, keep hearing that I tried clip for a little while. Um, and because I think I'm so used to Photoshop that my brain's just like, nope, that's, that doesn't look yeah. right. You know, right. like, so it, it never, the workflow never goes through. So I'm like, sure. at least with procreate, I just need to get simple things down and that's it. So it, I u- use it for a sketchbook essentially. Does it have, so, so it doesn't, it's not like you're in procreate setting up like margins and like no, shit like no. that. You're just sort of exporting like a rough page and then putting it into Photoshop later or something. Yeah, so I think that I'll do, I either set up a template, I forget if I set it up or if Procreate ended up adding it later, but I'll do that for all of my pages and actually all my commissions, I sketch on my iPad. Um, If I, you know, I like working bigger now because of being digital. And so I think if I was to do it on paper, I just need larger sketchbooks and those take up so much room. And I buy way too many comics as it is to like fill my space Mm -hmm. with drawings too. So I fully feel you. I I really like sketching on paper, especially because of the frustration of the surface, which I won't continue to talk about, but like, you know, I, I I like to send me more RAM. (laughs) I know truly like give me an upgraded (laughs) process or I got the best one. It still doesn't work anyway. Um, you know, but, but I like that, but it does like, especially, you know, I'm, I'm bi-coastal. And so like the amount of things that I take back and forth with me, I want to be fully minimal, which is like, it's, it's just a headache where I'm constantly like, anytime I'm back in one that. city or the other, I'm like, okay, now I got to go buy a new sketchbook. And like, do I have any pencils? I don't have anything that like actually feels good to draw. Like I, I tend to be agnostic with pencils, but there comes a point where I'm like, I need a pencil that actually feels good. You know, like yeah. I'll use those, you know, those, um, mechanical pencils that look like a real pencil that you just twist on the end to make it come out more yes. that they have at schools. I draw with those constantly and I like them a bit. But I, I will get to it anyway. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'm I know pretty that. like loyal to pencils as well. And I've never really met anybody that's like that too. I found one for my birthday one year. I went to Savannah. So I like checked out SCAD. I, like, sure. I know a ton of people have graduated from there. And they're right. like, you got to go to the dick book there because it's like magical, right? Sure. So I went and this person introduced me to this 
Japanese, uh, and I forget the brand, but like mechanical pencil, and it retracts the tip and it goes back inside of it. So not only does the lead retract, but the entire tip retracts. Ooh. I have literally somehow not lost it yet, and it's my favorite pencil wow. I've ever had. I, I'm so. very curious about that. I'm always I'm always yeah. on the search for a magic pencil that's actually going to be the one that like really gets me. Because yeah, I, I I tend to use almost any pencil, but then if I'm actually trying to get something done, then I feel like I have to have one that feels actually good. Yeah. Um, my goal is to convert you to that pencil and the Cintiq <laughs> in the same year. I yeah. Look, I, I will gladly do it. I'm sure my bank account will be a little less happy than I will be. But uh, I, well, I guess the pencil probably won't bankrupt me, but but maybe the Cintiq will. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of like the development of your process, how long have you been digital? And, and did you was there ever a time where you were making comics fully traditional and switched or has it just always been 100 percent digital? I, uh, I want to say that I got my first into us when I was, uh, dang, what are years anymore? Like the older you get, I feel like the, I have to like, remember what year. Well, especially post pandemic, you know? Yeah. Oh, like God. years yeah. make no sense anymore. Exactly. So I think I had the into us for a couple years before. So I got this in Tegan 2014. Mm-hmm. So maybe in like 2012 had the Intuos was kind of tooling around with that. Never did comics work on it. Right. So primarily would draw comic stuff right. um, in sketchbooks, but never like full-fledged comics. So I think I made, I primarily made full-fledged comics after switching to my Cintiq. However, I have done traditional pages. So like kind uh-huh. of like art story splash pages uh, traditionally um, prior to. Right. But. And you, you've been at least seemingly from from all the sort of research that that uh, I was able to do, it seems as though you've been like drawing, painting, like doing art stuff for for a really long time. Uh, I'm curious, when did that all start? Like what age were you when you started sort of picking up a pencil or a brush or whatever and, and exploring, you know, visual oh, art? Super young. My yeah. So my grandpa who raised, my grandparents raised uh, us mm-hmm. and my, he was a teacher for a couple different colleges for fine art. And then he also like graduated with his master's in fine art and like used to do like art shows. And like, I actually own a couple of his pieces that were like submitted into like juried art shows and things like that, that still have like the juried art show, like printout with like all of this information on it. Um, so like they were super cool about being very creative. My grandma's very creative too. Like she sews and paints a little bit and, um, just generally kind of like that. So like, they let me do whatever I want. I mean, like they would literally let me like draw all over myself too. Like, oh, wow. like be free, like kind right. of very hippie type people. So that <laughs> was really say. cool. Um, and then like, if I ever expressed interest in stuff, he would like sit outside and like, if you want to do oil painting, like let's try it. So like, right. I remember I was like 12 and like, he let me oil paint. Incredible. Um, you know, obviously I was like, why isn't this working? You know, as a young kid. So <laughs> clearly, you know, whatever, but I did like AP art in high school. And um, so it just like kind of like, I would say baby steps progress. So I never like went full fledged and then ever like dropped off or like, you know, crashed hard and burned. So that's good so far, you know, yet. I mean, yeah, it seems to be going well for you for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious, you know, I've seen like, uh, uh, like, you know, on Instagram and stuff like that, I've seen some posts of like old paintings and things like that that you have on there that, that seem pretty uh, well informed or at least well practiced. And I'm, I'm wondering if doing comics full time has 
cut down on the amount of time that you're able to actually like sit down with a brush and like go oh, yeah. through something like that. No, really? yeah, have not had. So I think the last time I did oils or anything like that was when I lived in near Toronto. And mm-hmm. that was like because of a class, which was really cool. So like I took classes out there and it turns out my teacher actually had done work previously for like Dark Horse and stuff like that. Oh, cool. and he was doing comics on the side. Yeah. Um, and I think the last like portrait I painted was probably like i don't know like a game of thrones portrait like back when it first aired right Right. so like i don't even know how long ago that was wow i've had like friends ask me like oh my god you're so talented can you please paint me like a piece for my house or something (laughs) like that and it's like an abstract and i'm like oh sure you know what i mean and that's like very cathartic for me because i'm like oh yeah i get to break this stuff out again but it's like zero pressure you know (laughs) like just a straight you know i mean don't get me wrong utilizing the tools like and when you're out of practice like that, like it's like scary. Oh, yeah, I should have put primer down or like, you know, things like that. But <laughs> yeah. I I did buy um, I don't know if you know of Sibylline, but she came out with this really cool like uh, gouache like thing with the Mossery Co sketchbook mm. line. And so I bought that because I was like, I'd love to get back into it. And I feel like gouache is a great way to like. Right. you know, miniature wise and don't have to break out a ton of stuff. So right. yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. I'll get back into it. But comics is my life. <laughs> I feel you there. Yeah. I, I, gouache is always the paint that I feel like if I started painting, which like I know nothing about paint. I've done like maybe two physical paintings ever. And like, then I just sort of try to approximate digitally. But gouache is always the one that I'm like, I, I feel like I could maybe get the hang of that if I took some time. You could. But... Oh my gosh. <laughs> this entire, the book that she made to like accompany the, like she was the one that curated the entire box of like supplies. Right. And she explains exactly how she uses them. And you would, you dig it. I'll, I, I, I'll show it to you afterwards. Please. I, I yeah. love that. Um, so did, did you then end up going to art school? I mean, obviously you talked about taking classes up in Toronto and stuff. Like what was your sort of art education journey after kind of like those explorations with your, your grandpa and stuff? Um, so what's funny is I wanted to go to Ringling ori- originally. Okay. And I remember getting the book and my grandparents were essentially the ones that I had to like discuss like any type of college stuff with. Right. And I remember bringing him the book and he opened it to like, I think the like per course uh, charges or whatever. And like <laughs> how much a semester would cost. And uh-huh. I just remember him closing it and being like, <sighs> <laughs> and then like, he's like, can we talk about this later? <laughs> right. Yeah. So like at that time he was like, I really think, I really think that you should apply for community college. And so I did, which is, you know, like, I'm really glad that I did because the art teacher there was like, why are you in beginner's art? Like, you know, I was like, I don't know. That's what like the college told me to do. I didn't realize that like I could bring a portfolio and whatever. It's kind of interesting to like figure out the ways. So I switched from community college to actually uh, an engineering college in my hometown. And I decided to go there because, you know, I essentially could work and like get school for free. Right. And I originally chose to do computer science. And then I found out that I had to take trigonometry and a whole bunch of other (laughs) stuff. So I quickly changed it, um, to communications and marketing Right. and did that for a long time. But then I, when I moved uh, to Canada, I ended up taking like classes because I really missed doing art and like there wasn't any art classes there was actually what's crazy is I took a uh, visual arts comic like research class so like my engineering college did have that which was very interesting and I got to do like 
an entire, like my entire uh, grade was worth uh, for a project that I had to research like 2001 A Space Odyssey and compare it to like a graphic novel or whatever and like all these other things. So that was really cool. But that's awesome. I definitely clearly missed yeah. art stuff. So it's, it's very interesting just hearing even just this specific journey because like already there are pieces coming together that form current day Leona Kangas where it's like, oh, okay, a little bit of computer science that kind of ties into like, you seem like someone who's very <laughs> educated and you know your way around computers and technology and stuff, particularly with, you know, Twitch and podcasting setups. And then, then <laughs> I knew about the marketing thing, right? And like, you are someone who of anyone in comics, I feel like if anyone's very good at like branding themselves, I feel like it's you like you have a very Thank great you. touch and oh feeling for that kind of thing and then obviously you know painting and art and and sort of the visual storytelling aspect of it like it's it's interesting to see all of those little things kind of like you know uh, uh aligning and compiling together um which is like something that i think is super interesting about comics is that like you kind of have to wear so many hats to make it oh, in comics absolutely. like you, you're yeah. doing so many jobs constantly that that type of life experience i feel like is almost necessary to do this because it just doesn't I don't meet many comics people who have only done art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a very scrappy. Yeah. Like industry that, I mean, you end up having to do so many roles, even just drawing comics and you know that. Yeah. And so in order to like gain all those skills, I almost feel like you're pulling from 80 million other areas to kind of totally put it together. Absolutely. And it's, and it's really interesting. And I think that like, that's often the thing that gets really, um, it doesn't get, I I guess just not talked about or not given enough credit is the, the amount of marketing that plays into it. And I think that what's interesting to me at least is that some of the most interesting voices in comics in the last, you know, I don't know, 10 plus years have come from marketing, like fraction worked in marketing, Jonathan Hickman worked in marketing, like so many of these people who would go on to be like very formative, voices and i think honestly i i and again not to toot anyone's horn but i you know whatever i like the people's work who i have on the show but like i think that you're one of those voices sort of in this next generation that's like a very like you know well informed on how to do this stuff and and understands exactly what it is that like people are looking for or at least what it is that you want to do and then you're able to communicate that to the people who uh uh, are looking for your work and i guess the, the question in that is like what have you what have you learned about your own work and the things that you're interested in doing through the process of, of, of getting it out to an audience? That is probably the most uh, loaded comics question (laughs) I've ever gotten. I think, uh, you know, creator own, the more that I do it uh, and the more like connected response of readers that I get Mm -hmm. with it, is the more I want to do it. You know what I mean? And it's primarily because I finally get to pick all these weird things that I've always wanted to see in comics or that it's like an amalgam of things, right. That I've read that I'm like, okay, I love that. And I love that. And you get to like have this really wild, interesting idea that you're like, Oh wow. There's actually a team of people that want to execute this with me or whatever. And when people connect with it, or they're like, I love this one piece or like they find a small inside joke or like an Easter egg that I drew in or something like that. It's like all worth it. And I'm like, right. that gives me like another high to like, just keep going. And in terms <laughs> of like, uh, like I just can't wait to tell the next creator own. And it's really, yeah. uh, you know, I think I love, I love Marvel and DC mm-hmm. and like big two and license work. And totally. that's how I primarily got into comics. Like I think right. a lot of people saw an iconic character resonated or 
wanted to connect with it and then yeah brought yourself into comics in some sort of way and i still would i love doing license work doing right. some right now and it's i'm like still cannot believe like holy shit working on this kind of stuff yeah and it's great to find you know the people that connect with that too and meet new people and that's also you know one of the things that i really enjoy about comics but primarily i think when you work on a creator-owned project, you're able to market it better because it's literally just you. And so, yeah. like, you're able to talk about you or your friends, you know? Right. Like, you know, like, even Scott, uh, because, you know, he's been my co-collaborator on this for so long. And, like, right. he's doing Batman stuff, man. And I get to be like, he's doing Batman stuff and he's doing this. You know what I mean? Like, right. if yeah. you like that weird Batman story, you're going to love this weird stuff. A hundred percent, yeah. And it's it's really cool. Like it's just seeing the evolution of it. And I think one thing I, I appreciate about you because I, I find myself often, and I, I I'm curious if you've felt the same way. Like having kind of you know a foot in sort of the indie comics scene, and especially in its current iteration, which involves a lot more sort of like web comics. And there's there's so many different niches of indie comics. But like having a foot there, it often seems like um, the people in the indie comics world have a bit of a in aversion to licensed work and to mainstream comics and i think that a lot of people are hesitant to sort of show their fandom on their sleeve so to speak and kind of like act as though it's you know like sort of too cool for school whatever like type thing and i think that you're someone who has not lost any like credibility in terms of like being someone who puts in the work and someone who who does this work, but also still is like unabashedly a fan of stuff. Have you found any resistance to that? Or like, was there ever a time that you kind of struggled with where you wanted to exist in that kind of field? Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like I'm on a twister mat figuring out <laughs> like where I fit or mm -hmm. like who's going to accept me in terms of like parts of the industry. Right. And when you were like foot in the door, I was like foot in the door and then another foot in another door <laughs> and <laughs> arm here. And, you know, uh, right. Yeah. I, I think it's fun to be a fan too and have this sort of, uh, I mean, I'm sure you understand, like I ingest a lot of media. Yeah. I love comics first and foremost, obviously we're having had worked in retail and, you know, collecting for a long time. Mm -hmm. And with, the media and like movies, how it's grown and things like that. And how we've been able to get all this special media based off of all of our favorite, like things that we've read right. or things like that has really changed how you can be a fan. Right. Um, we get all of this new special entertainment and media and things like that, even more so. And you can enjoy all the IP and stuff. Right. In an, a, a, I mean, such an in-depth experience more so than just reading and things like that. So right. I feel like we're in a golden age of being a fanboy. Right. At all times. It's yeah. great. Yeah. And like every single piece of media too, I'm like, oh, we're so lucky to get this. People are like, oh, this is going to suck, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't even care. <laughs> like, you know, know, it's just great to see it and like provides jobs and things like that. But anyway. Yeah. Be being in like uh being in a world where people can complain about how colorful the costumes of the Eternals are uh, <laughs> is a fortunate is a fortunate world to be in. You know, like oh it's yeah, been the a hard year. You know? 
they want to be mad about something it's fine my god yeah and like i mean look i i'm also there i am i'm of two minds where i'm like man that movie looks so good and then also like i really wish the costumes were more colorful you know like i do have that in my head but like it is a fortunate position to be in where like that is the movie that's coming out that people have opinions on right that casting is unreal Unreal. Unreal casting, having an Oscar winning director yeah. making like Jack Kirby's most obscure and like indulgent Marvel property. Um, it's crazy. Uh, and on that note, though, of, of the sort of fanish, you know, uh, uh, kind of end of things, what was, do you remember like what the f- very first comics you read were? Like, how old were you when you started reading uh, comics? I feel like every time I answer this, it changes a little bit because I'll remember some things like, oh, yeah, like I picked up Archie's Digest at Winn-Dixie when I was six or something like that. Do I remember reading it? No, No, of course. My memory retention from anything like pre-college does not exist. (laughs) Like, let's be real. Yeah, I hear that. (laughs) Like, um, but I do remember like... Spider-Man was definitely one of the first ones and it was like something pre from what I remember pre uh, multi-universe or uh, I can't even remember I can remember the cover like visually Uh can't remember what the title was so what's crazy so like one day I should just draw it and be like Twitter what's up do your thing (laughs) Um, that was the first comic but I remember having like Green Lantern comics from like you know like one of my mom's friends like left stuff at her house. You know what I mean? Like weird stuff, how I like an amalgam of like collecting stuff. And then manga. When I discovered that at Barnes and Noble, like when that was like a thing, I mean, that's where the waters get murky and I have no idea because I just like anything I could get my hands on friends would let me, but like, I remember one of my closest friends, uh, let me borrow her entire run of Inuyasha. I used her like a library. (laughs) <laughs> like, I literally was like, all right, I'm done. Give me the next one. Like, right. you know what I mean? Now I look yeah. back at that. I'm like, wow, she was a great friend. I would not have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. um, so that and like, I didn't really realize that comic book shops existed. So right. until like trade paperbacks really were like a thing in Barnes and Noble and things like that. Sure. Who's to say? Yeah. Early teens, maybe. I would right. say is the formative years and then kind of moves on from there. Do you remember who the first like creators were that you were really conscious of and that you started following? Mm. I hate doing this to him every single time, but Jim Mafood, I'm sorry, bro. Hey. He's never going to listen to this. It's fine. But every single time <laughs> I answer, cause like his work really stood out to me. Like right. I think I was a teen at the time, but then kept seeing his work. And so when I was like, I don't know, I was like 17 or 18, Mm -hmm. like he's like, he's my favorite artist, like at the time or whatever. And, uh, he has, yeah, there's such, I can never figure out why his drawings work. I try to replicate that kind of thing every once in a while and try to get more abstract and like, you know, the weird things that he'll do with proportions and angles and stuff like that. I don't know how it works. It always works, but I don't know how. I feel like I, when I watch, when I've seen him draw, like even right. in person, like his arm just does this thing. And I'm like, what? How? You know yeah. what I mean? No idea. It's it's a it's a thing. And like, I think Mike Huddleston kind of does that a lot, too, where like you just they, they will stretch so much with what they're doing on the page. And like it just it, for some reason, they're able to make it work. And so much of it is improvisational. Like I watch Mafu and yeah. he's not mapping stuff out. Yeah. Freedom and just I. I feel like he has that thing in his brain where the block is lifted and he can just right. 
fully you- just express, <laughs> you know, which yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm like, I have full block. Everything is stressful to me. Like Same. laying stuff on the page, like has to be perfect. You know, like, yeah. do you revise your thumbnails and stuff a lot before, before going into pencils? Like what, how, how, what's the like most time intensive or like brain intensive part of your process? Drawing the actual layout. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And like reading it and being like, okay, what's the best way to execute this? And I know that the more I do it, the better I'll be or faster right. I'll be. But that is probably the most time intensive. And I always second guess because I'm like, there's always a better way, right? Sure. And sometimes it's like, stop second guessing it, do it and get it done. Or uh-huh. like move on to the next page and go back to it later. Sure. Does does it hang you up? The I find myself often getting hung up by like, having this thing in my head of like that there is some objectively right way to do a page and that I'm not figuring it out. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is really just like, I know that there's like not a masterclass or like, (laughs) you know, there's a, there's rules to it. Right. Right. But it just depends. Like how do you utilize the rules with your style to break the rules? Right. Right. Or how to make it yours. And so I think that's, why this medium rules is because essentially you can do anything you want, which is right. amazing. It's and, and so do you, in terms of when you're having those doubts of like, there's a perfect way to make this page and I'm not getting it. Like, obviously you still just have to get the page done. How do you get yourself past that? Like, what do you have any methods of, is there a, like, do you just say fuck it and just keep going? Or like, where, where do you, where do you find yourself coming over those hangups? Deadline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally just being like, you have to make this deadline, so you got to do it. I'm sorry. Like telling myself, like, you know what I mean? And it's great because, like, you know conceptually that there is a better way to do it. Your brain is not allowing you to execute it in a better way. And it's that same roller coaster of where your understanding of uh, art and your production of art haven't quite met in the middle, right? Right. So you're, like, constantly stressing out whether or not it's, like... That, yeah, that is How a chasm. Yeah. That is a chasm in yes. my life. I'm I'm sure that you know you're getting there, but for me personally, I'm I'm looking at the Grand Canyon there, going, I know I'm supposed to look like that thing over there, but uh, I don't have a bridge. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I, that's I, crazy to me because you storyboard, right? Like I I don't I don't board myself. I work with the story team, but I okay. do not board. I that that I you know at some point maybe I'll I'll have a greater understanding. And I've been taking board classes, but I I I purely oh, am like awesome. in a coordinator type role for for um the board artists on our movie, but. Uh, it's, it's interesting to watch them. That's the thing is like, they'll crank out like a hundred panels in a day and like, you know, be done and, with it. and like they're all very good. It's own medium in itself because you're not yes. restricted to reading a page, right? Like I've always been so interested in storyboarding because it's like doing panels, but by itself and, and, you know, and it has to be, each one has to almost like feel like a page, you know yeah. what I mean? It's um, really interesting. And we have like, we have such talented people and like watching how many different types of voices will sort of inform the same movie that we're working on is fascinating. Like yeah. you have so many people with different sensibilities. Like one of our guys were is Wes Anderson's personal board artist. And so like his stuff has a very like, you know, unique and distinct feel to it. And then another guy like is a Oscar award winning like director who like made a, a, a short a few years ago. And so his stuff is very like cinematic and he has a very active camera with like a lot of lighting in his boards and stuff. And then like someone else wow. is more of like a comedy type. It's just like interesting to see all these people working on the same project and having all of those boards sort of influence each other and play off each other. It's fascinating. And it has um, like a fluidity to it. 
totally. Which is like, I guess, a team that like is able to communicate really well and stuff. Totally. Right. Oh it's, it's a really interesting thing. Um, anyway, uh, so in in that process, right, in, in going from, you know, sort of your roughs that you've kind of painstakingly laid out and then getting through and, and finishing the page on a deadline, uh, do you do you find that you are able to sort of loosen up a lot more in your pencils or in your inks? And also, like, what does that process even look like for you? Do you have like a distinct pencil and ink phase or are you kind of going directly from your roughs into kind of like a relatively final page? I've done both. Um, what I've found that is the most efficient for me is to do like uh, rough thumbs that I actually just work into inks Mm -hmm. sometimes depending on the panel and like how difficult it is, because like, I know you've seen some of my work. So like a lot of it feels cinematic. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't, not a lot of um, movement or action is happening in Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that I'm working on right now. So I can typically move straight from my roughs to inks or whatever. Right. But, or just like I've, once in a while I've gone straight to inks, like on a page, but right. that's creator own work. So like sure. I'm able to do that, but, um, I but have, with license, you're kind of doing like approvals at every stage oh, yeah, and things yeah. like that. So do every yeah. single stage. Um, and it depends like which editor I'm working with too, which is fun because I can a- like, I've asked, uh, one of my editors who like is great. I was like, Hey, can I just move from like layouts to inks? Are you cool mm-hmm. with that? Cause like I can do, obviously since it's digital, it's great because if there are right. any changes and if we decide something later, yeah. All right. Just, I mean, easy to work with changes on that front. So, right. Um, just depending on like how much I have on my plate in terms of projects or things like that. But I do like essentially doing uh, tightened roughs mm-hmm. and then working on inks on, for, on top of that is my favorite way to work. Got it. Right. That's uh, that's a fun way because it feels like it's still. I, I've talked about this before on the show, but the ink stage is always the stage where I feel like I'm losing the life in the yes. drawing and losing yeah. the fun. And I feel like that's a good way to counter that where it's like you're you're sort of taking, you know, almost like a um, like a clay approach to to making a page where you're kind of starting with a lot more than you need and rougher lines and stuff like that and kind of sanding it down and sort of, you know, finding the panel inside the rough in a way. Um, And I think there's something to making something very polished. But uh-huh. I'm sure for what you and I would both create, like the rougher version that has more energy in it and stuff like that would read better. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's my constant fight is that I feel like my instinct is always telling me to try and polish it more. But I actually I like my sketches more than I like my finished drawings most of the time. Me too. Yeah. It's me too. bad. It's so bad. One of the things that I do, like, especially for covers is actually I use my pencils underneath and pull out some layers in it to like add to the inks. Right. Um, which tend to be kind of fun or yeah. I'll like duplicate it and change up and like kind of carve out some of the pencils and like finalize inks with it. Sure. That's and interesting. That's kind of fun too. Yeah. Do you like, do you tend to work in a lot of layers on your pages oh or do yeah (laughs) it depends well like covers yes uh like sure and i would say like pages other than like you know the white background a pencil uh layer or whatever and like any of the shapes that i need Mm -hmm. i have the inks grays if i need it and then Mm -hmm. um sometimes if i'm like unsure about a panel or whatever i'll have it like on a separate and then like kind of mess with that later but so do you pass when you're when you're sending your stuff to a colorist are you sending it with like grays in there used for like lighting and shadow like are you kind of mapping that stuff out for yourself yeah typically like for especially for true cult because like i've worked with gab 
so many times or whatever. Right. And like, I have never really given her heavy lighting uh, stuff. And I thought uh-huh. it would be really fun this time. So I've been doing that primarily and, and she utilizes it in really cool ways. So that's, that's really worked cool. out great. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of wondering about that. Cause it seemed like the, the lighting in true cult seems very, um, um, you know, sort of just in sync with your lines. And I, I find as someone who's colored other people's work and also colors my own work, I always find that there's that small, like there can be that dissonance between an artist and a colorist. And even if it works really well, there's just always a feeling for some reason that comes from like a line artist doing their own lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think too, because Gab and I have been able to communicate really well. Like if we ever collaborate like on a cover or things like mm-hmm. that, like I've actually given her. So for instance, she said destroy. Um, even though Rebecca was the colorist for the interiors for the trade paperback, I actually colored the trade. Mm hmm. And was like, I'm not happy with it. So I paid Gab. I called. I was like, something's up with this. And I was like, <laughs> I, I need help. You know right. what I mean? And like, she would collaborate with me on it, which is really cool. Instead of just like coloring it herself. Right. And so that's really fun because like, she'll see things that I don't quite see. Like, I've been told that my coloring is very unique. Mm. Um, which I take as a compliment, obviously. Definitely. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's because... You know, I don't look at uh, coloring kind of like the old house style way, you know, with like shading, like almost kind of like with a brush per se. But I Mm. utilize like weird layer stuff in Photoshop to kind of like play with lighting and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm exactly the same way. Yeah, I I kind of hate the like traditional like cut and grad like that sort of coloring method with like soft brushes and shit i I, i'm with you too i love using adjustment layers and gradient maps and like um um, i appreciate it for like some of the things like you know a lot of big two stuff sure yeah like that's the house style i get it but um especially on my work like i'm so boxy and like my drawings and stuff that i feel like (laughs) it just wouldn't it wouldn't read well but totally you you never know Hey, maybe, maybe sometime, you know, maybe Scott Williams will cover, you know, color something you do and you'll, you'll find out what it looks like. Not nothing against Scott Williams. I don't no, want that yeah. to sound mean, you know what I mean? But he just has a different style. Um, uh, so I, I guess we should like, we've, we've dug so deep on process to begin with, which is awesome. And I love it. And it's usually the way that I end the interview. So we're, we're doing kind of a reverse method, which is, was nice and fun. Um, but I want to talk about true cult. Tell me, where this project started from it's it's such a fun and amazing book and i'm i'm so glad it exists uh when did this first start between you and scott so i had moved to jersey and i was doing i want to say it was either my first or second show uh i think it may be in jersey city or newark Mm -hmm. i forget um, and Scott actually swung by my table and he was like, Hey, I actually follow you on Twitter or something. Like he's, he was like, I'm a fan of your work. And I was like, me, <laughs> like, cause I felt like I had just really just started breaking in. And so right. like, that was really nice to get that kind of compliment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yeah, if you want ever want to read any of my work or whatever, hit me up. Uh, we exchanged emails or whatever and like started chatting and I loved his like Star Trek thing and stuff like that. And, um, you know, we just started talking and he was like, Hey, if you ever want to collaborate, I was like, yeah, actually like at that point, I think I had only been working on, um, I had only done the mine anthology and was working on the, uh, devil's die series. Mm. So I was like, I'd love to collaborate, you know, and right. he, you know, he's one of the first collaborators that was like, what do you want to draw? You know? 
Right. And I was like, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Just anything. Right. But at the right. time I was like, you know, I'm really big into heist movies. And so I had told him that cause I have, I read some of his other work and he primarily writes a lot of horror, right. which I love. I love horror movies. I haven't drawn a lot of horror yet. I've drawn right. a couple, but um, I was like, you know, I really love heist movies. And he's like, hold on. I have a, he's like, I have a notebook somewhere. And I remember this specifically because I feel like uh, we had been chatting for so long about right. like, you know, just being like, you know, peers in comics or whatever for him to be like, I have just the thing. I was like, you already have something? What? <laughs> and so he typed it all up, uh, found it in his journal, typed it up, sent it to uh-huh. me. And it was True Cult, but I think at the time it was called True Crime. Okay. And I read the thing and I was like, I have never been this more ex- I've never been so excited to read just like <laughs> it was like a one page document or something like that. Right. And like reading the beginning uh inklings of what would be Marty, right? right. And like yeah. Actually, I think Bernice was already like an established uh, thing that just worked, um, okay. especially for the dichotomy of the two characters or whatever. Right. And so there were a couple things that I changed that I took liberty on, which was really cool because he was like, yeah, whatever. Like, Amazing. sounds great. Right. Um, and I was like, fast food. And he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of writers derive from life and stuff like that. So we chatted about like I've worked fast food and uh I don't know why, and it might be because I'm a Floridian, but I was like, I cannot wait to draw all of this. You know what I mean? I don't know (laughs) why. It just, maybe it's like drawing a franchise or drawing like a brand that's not my own, right? Right. Sounded really interesting and fun to me. And then also it being a heist. So. Of course. um, That's where we started. And then uh, I think I was finalizing She Said Destroy. And I think I did like a pinup. Like, just to kind of mess around with, like, character designs and stuff like that. Right. And that, I mean, it almost immediately established, like, what they looked like. The entire Burger Lord (laughs) look, everything. And, like, we just have gone from there, like, slowly kind of, you know, adding people to the team and things like that. So It's it's a really cool design. It's so funny that, like... It's it's funny having a comic that is sort of based around, like, a, a, you know, fast food joint that has such a strong... um, look to it that like looks very appealing because it's not often that you look at like a mcdonald's or whatever and you're like that looks so great you know but like yeah, but it's, yeah. it's really interesting. it just it ends up looking really appealing on on the page and even just the small details that i really appreciate like that um the i i'm now blanking on names but but when they hire the new girl that comes in and she comes in with a burger lord polo but it's a different color than the ones yeah. that they're wearing in there like Allison. it's just a small detail that i'm like that's amazing i love that yeah. so much oh gosh um, but because well, like we've all experienced like the Taco Bell changing from the 90s to the new stuff and things right. like that. And we were just like, remember, I, I forget where we picked the orange. And so actually, Allison's uh-huh. uh, Allison's entire old Burger Lord setup was actually the first time we ever colored the pinup uh, that I drew of Marty and Bernice. That, those were the original colors. And we oh, changed it because I was like, I don't want to draw or I don't want to see an entire book with like bright orange I, I just like i was like this is not a gritty book in my mind like i was like i don't want right. to see orange non-stop and like i was like gab do whatever you want and so sure. she's the one that picked the new burger lord colors and i was like it would be so cool if we could like incorporate the old burger lord look and so right. that's really yeah. cool i love that 
Did you did you ever work like fast food or what? Like what was your first job? Oh yeah, yeah. I was a sandwich artist. At, oh hello, uh, the good old Subway. <laughs> yeah, I've also worked at um what was purchased to be a tropical smoothie, but then it was like an off brand, like it failed, and then another came in. Incredible. And I worked at that as well at the same time. By the way, as wow. working at at Subway still and Hot Topics, so I had three part time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a combo yeah subway i okay, i assume only from be i mean i worked at a movie theater in high school but then i did also when i was i was selling phones for at&t and our store was one of the stores i worked at was right next to a subway and i would often go home smelling like subway like the bread smell i i can mm-hmm. only assume that when you went to the smoothie place or when you went to hot topic or whatever that you would carry a scent of subway in with you I think everybody that works food industry in any sort of capacity has the baked in like That's a fair point. food smell. Like I remember yeah. my brother worked at uh, this local like Irish joint. Mm-hmm. Every night he came home, I'm like, huh? like just right. <laughs> smells like, you know, like dishes and also food. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like the bad mix. But every, I mean, I can't tell you what my car must have smelled like. I don't know. <laughs> Sandwich turkey all the time. Gross. Yep. So and- great. <laughs> like those high school jobs, they all just they they have the strongest stench. For me, it was always popcorn. I was a projectionist, but I worked directly above the concession oh stand gosh. in the projector room. And so just this popcorn smell would just permeate up into my space. And so it was just a weird mixture of projector oil and popcorn uh, <laughs> that I was always taking home with me, which was just wonderful. Um, but also the bag of, you know, mostly stale popcorn that you take home at the end of the day was also pretty nice from time yeah, to time. Yeah, free cookies. Got we got free to take cookies. home the cookies and the there bread sometimes. It was great. Uh, that's that's lovely. Do mm-hmm. you do you find yourself like because I, I always wonder I make sandwiches for myself a lot. And and I'm I always wonder if I did work at a subway before, if I would be like slightly better at making a sandwich. Like, do you do you find yourself pretty good at making a sandwich? If I ever make one, I won't lie to you. I like, seriously, I could go without eating a sandwich for Whoa. the rest of my life. Like, Even honestly. in the pandemic, you haven't found yourself eating sandwiches more at all? Wow. Mm-mm. That's impressive. Yeah. My sandwich honestly, intake has gone I'd so far up. rather just cook myself like two eggs. Interesting. You're, are you like an be... eggs for lunch person? Sometimes. I, I kind of swap like either I'll just like do a little bit of coffee and like cereal for okay. breakfast and then right, switch same. to eggs for lunch. Like eggs are like, wow. you know. I don't know. I don't I, even eat toast half the time. I just I can't do eggs in the afternoon. That's something that it's a weird <laughs> mental block for me. I'm sure it's like a weird like I have just I'm broken when it comes to like <laughs> but then like dinner I'll you know I'd love a thing of sushi or like you know tacos or sure. things like that but I think just lunchtime because you're like grinding through the day I'm just right. like I don't have time to make myself something. I right. bet if I you know what it is I never have bread. We never have bread because it would just go, you know, yeah. go bad or whatever. I guess you could freeze it. But I mean, that's beyond the point. But that's why I don't know. Totally. I'm kind of with you. I, I don't make an I I always end up with like a couple of moldy pieces of bread and have to throw them out. Like yeah. I never fully go through a loaf. Uh. Um, anyway, uh, so with True Cold, I, I I love that you guys like you, you'll you'll put it out through Kickstarter and do your campaign, which has usually incredible, you know, perks with with different like stuff that you're designing and merch and stuff like that. And then also still putting the issue up on Gumroad afterward digitally. Um, is that kind of just the the release plan going forward? Or are you kind of eyeing, you know, partnering with a publisher or like what what's kind of the roadmap for True Cult going forward? 
Well, the original plan was to release it through a publisher. Um, mm. And because Scott and I have coined ourselves to be impatient, uh, we were like, we'll do it ourselves. And then we'd love to work with a publisher to like print it later on. Right. Uh, but the priority was always to like get the digital issues to the backers first, because like they were the ones that helped us. I mean, honestly, the reason why we could work on it um, mm -hmm. was because of the Kickstarter. So it's like, as long as we get those digital issues out to them, you know, awesome right and we definitely want it printed yeah T tons of people have asked us and i you know it's one of those things where we're like we are actively looking to do that so it's easier than or it's it's, it's more difficult than just sort of snapping your fingers and right, getting a right. publishing deal in place yeah i would love that you know you know <laughs> what it's like with direct market and everything like it's everything takes so long mm -hmm. and then by the time you know it's done and what's great is that this is already done and yeah. so we're excited because if anything, it'll just be more cool content that we get to release with it. So, and how many, so, so for the entire project, how many issues are there? There's four issues. Um, so this past issue three had 33 pages, oh, wow. I think. Yeah. So like they're oversized issues. Um, and yeah. I think that issue four might be 28 pages. So, okay, cool. So, so if, if you guys are collecting it in print or whatever, then it's, it's a nice, like, Oh, yeah. 120-ish, something like that, if you're putting it all together, something like that? Yes. And we have tons of back matter already, as you Hell know. Yeah. You of know, course, yeah. So. I know. it's That was one thing that I really loved in, I mean, for both issues that, that I've read so far and, and the third one to come, but like, there is so much back matter in there. And, and it's, I mean, it's already like a pretty meaty issue story-wise, um, but I really love seeing like all of the, not only just the pinups, but like the, you know, reading about the work that's sort of gone into the book and, and kind of, you know, origins, all this stuff. Like it's, it's really, really cool to like have that stuff. And it's always, especially for a digital issue. It's like, yeah, why not pile it in? Like yeah. if you're putting it out in print later and end up having to cut some things, whatever, but like, you know, it's, it's cool to have that extra stuff, especially you just feel like you're getting more bang for your buck. It's um, limitless. You don't have to worry about page count for printing. Like we right. really have like Scott and I have so many different stories, horror stories, literally of working fast food that I was like, <laughs> I already have one that I've been two now, actually, that I've been uh -huh. saving for this specifically. And I'm like, I cannot wait to either write <laughs> or draw this or both. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of writing, um, one of the projects that uh, that you worked on recently, which I really, really loved and was uh, really looking forward to from the moment it was announced and happy to get in my hands was Seeds of Eden. Um, hey. Tell me tell me where that all started from. Tell me about like when it first came onto your radar and, and kind of just developing the story. Yeah. Um, so Z and Sebastian and I, so Z is... Uh, publisher at TKO. Publisher, owner... I forgot how many titles. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, of course. To me, yep. he's like him and Sebastian are TKO. So right. when I met them at Emerald City uh, a couple of years ago, like they were really cool, like looking out to talk to artists and things like that. I feel like, you know, we had a great chat. They're mm -hmm. really, really cool guys. Um, and I actually saw Z uh, a week later at C2E2 and I ran oh, into shit. him like literally like accidentally bummed into him. I was like, oh my God, Z, what's up? You know, we chatted for a little bit um he's hilarious yeah like obviously you've seen i mean literally like i call i'm like he is a king on twitter like <laughs> i literally not only a style king like right. literally look up to him for that but yeah 
hilarious. No, he's so, so dope. He's the one person who I've interviewed on the show in person that wasn't at a convention for the interview. Like it was, it was very lovely to like just sit down in a room with someone and not be in a crowded convention hall like talking. It was just nice to like chill and 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 talk. He's a wonderful. I'm so person. jealous. I want him to come on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get him. Yeah. Um. So I think Z hit me up at some point and uh, had asked if I wanted to be a part of it, and I was really mm. excited. And he asked if I would write it, and I was like, Oh. You know, and at that time, you know, I've drawn a couple series and stuff like that. And I've wanted to write, but literally pausing because I was, I guess, flabbergasted at the request. (laughs) Um, Not to say that I couldn't do it, but I was like, okay, um, yes. And then caveat, but um, can I bring on a co-writer? Because I was like, I don't want to give you straight up garbage, which I didn't. I didn't think that it would be garbage. However, I wanted it to, to be good. Yeah. Um, especially for how amazing the books that they've been putting out. Right. So truly, uh, he was like, yeah, no worries. Like when I started, I, he either said that when he started his career, he worked with a co-writer a lot. And so right. that actually gave me a lot of like insight into co-writing a little bit for comics. And at the time, uh, Joe and I had just wrapped up. She said destroy, which is right. how I ended up asking him. I was like, Hey, we've already been working for the past, like eight months. Can you just yeah. do this thing with me? He's like, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, he had asked, Z had asked who, uh, who we wanted to have on for an artist. And I was Uh like, I get anybody like I can ask, you know, yeah, (laughs) like having limitless opportunities. So I was just like, I'm going to pull the friend card and I asked Paul. So, uh, I was like, listen, usually I wouldn't ask this, but also what other chance am I going to get to collaborate with you? So you got to shoot shot. Yeah. Yeah. And my God, hell of a decision. Like it looks so good. And it's so, just, it's great in general, but yeah. Sebastian gave us these really cool, like, you know, we're kind of looking for like ecological horror stuff like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so back to me taking that comics class and aggressively researching 2001 Space Odyssey. I'm sure right. it all makes sense now. Yeah. Um, Joe and I obviously have a lot in common and like he has recommended a lot of movies to me and things like that, but we both really love alien too. Of course. And so when I, we talked to Paul a little bit, Paul was like, he had so many ideas for like the specific murder scene. I was like, I'll give you some murders, but honestly, like I know you love alien and stuff like that too. So <laughs> let's do this. Right. So like, yeah. it was really cool. Cause I knew that, I wanted Paul to like go crazy and obviously like you don't have to do too much there for like how great he is at storytelling. So yeah, it's such a, it's such a gorgeous book and it's like the type of like, obviously, you know, aliens, a big influence on a lot of people as is 2001, but like there is, there's something in seeds of Eden that is so uniquely done and not, it just to me feels very uncommon in today's like comics and and also just I mean you know the the sort of I love short stories in general I love like quick hits that can like really like dive in and, and sort of pack a punch and then like just kind of leave you uh you know leave thinking you about stuff yeah. yeah just like leave you hanging thinking about stuff and, it's you my know, favorite I, thing to do it's so fun you know and I talked <laughs> to Steve Fox on on the show a little while ago and obviously uh, his story his was really story. great oh it's so um, good and so it's fun. And that's something that I love about TKO right now, too, is that they are like putting out, you know, waves of these short stories from like really interesting creators. Um, but yeah, that was like from the moment they announced the TKO shorts, I was like, I need I need to read Seeds of Eden. Um, and it, it did yeah. not disappoint. So everyone out there, go and check it out. 
Um, in in working with these, you know, like especially on True Cult, like you're kind of stepping into a role that to me seems like it's more um there's more roles than just creating the book that there's more of like a managerial and marketing and 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 like coordinating role and obviously like designing stuff you know you've got all this merch and stuff like how difficult was it to balance all of those different hats while doing that book well the one thing that helped was uh the time given to us during the pandemic so um it's it's all a learning process still to me, um, especially coordinating and like doing schedules with a whole bunch of different creators, you know, having to work on many books, uh, uh, and also, you know, it being creator owned, not tied to a publisher yet, you know, you have to like everything self-sustained. And then what's even cooler is like, because we got to pick our teams and stuff like that, like, you know, you were talking about designing merch, like Jaslyn and I got to co-design a lot of stuff, like the read comic Stan Satan. That was like a co-design between us. And that's really cool too, because, you know, it's all a collaborative effort, but it's nice that you get to go outside of your normal roles. Like I've never designed a book before. This was my first book that I got to design and I used to do graphic design for work. So it was kind of like graphic design is my burden. (laughs) <laughs> but also like, oh, shit, it's still my passion. Like, right, you know yeah. what I mean? Like years mm-hmm. later being like, oh, I actually still love this. Um, and like there's still obviously a lot to learn in that sense, too. Right. right. Like you're not up to par and with the latest stuff either. So it's all a learning process. And <laughs> anyone that can do their own creator own book on a schedule, especially for things like image and stuff like that, props and hats off to you. Like I love Truly. reading interviews about like, you know, Cliff and Brian K. Vaughn or whatever they'd give like months for people to finish like an yeah. issue. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's crazy. It's, it's especially on that self-managed and obviously there's some luxury that comes with, you know, being a, a book like paper girls or whatever, where like yeah, you can afford that's true. that. Yes. Um, uh, but, but it is interesting. And I think, I mean, I guess the biggest struggle that, I think a lot of people have, at least I have, um, is like the, the organization of a schedule of like, you know, every day I'm doing this at this time. And like, here's what I know I need to get done. And then I need to do this, this, and this, like by this time. And, you know, in order to get stuff done on time versus the like, okay, I know what I need to do this month and I'm going to like, you know, work on it over the course of this month. But then that last like three or four days of the month, I'm just going to be like going like crazy to to get it done in time. Like which side of that do you find yourself on? Do you find yourself that, more that organized time. or more? Yeah, no, you're, you're no. kind of like time management the to me is a unicorn that does not exist. <laughs> and I as much as I strive to um, collaborate with time management, uh-huh. <laughs> time management is like, mm, are you sure, though? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And like, you know what it's like, especially during right now where you're managing a lot of different things, not just yeah. either a part time job or like other clients or things like that. But managing that and also a creator own book and you know that other people are waiting on you or like you have to manage like right. what's going on with that as well. Um, and day by day, right? People get sick, things like that. It's, it's the same as freelance. Like I, yeah. freelancing is uh, it's a grind. Yeah. And I, I fairly have a somewhat reliable schedule. Like I try to be up at my desk by 9 a.m. and wow try not to work at past eight, you know? So like that helps a lot in terms of, but everything in publishing is so wild, like schedules change and things like that. So like I'll literally plan my entire year out and then Mm -hmm. be like, 
oh, what's changed? Some things are bumped up. Some things are pushed back. Things right. like that. You just keep so, having to like reevaluate your schedule yeah. and all so, that stuff. Like what you were saying, like, I know what's happening this month ish. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, I, I understand that. I'm like, I'm just, I'm trying to get better. Like with, cause with the amount of stuff, you know, like it just, at least for me where I'm at right now between like working on a movie, like doing my own writing for film and for comics and, and for like, you know, the drawing stuff that I'm writing and stuff like just trying to manage it. I'm so envious of the people who are able to like, be like, Oh yeah. So I just need to do this and this and this, and this is the week I work on this thing. And then the next week I work on this thing and and that's, I just keep it rolling and everything's fine. You Um, know what I found is like, I do find that drawing a specific book one week as opposed mm-hmm. to like alternating pages. Cause I have tried doing like graphic novel and then true cult or whatever. Right. Um, it almost kind of like jars you a little bit just because you're like, Oh, I was on this one style. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm back. Right. To, you know, like the graphic novel I'm drawing right now is like super loose. And so compared to like tight and cinematic true mm-hmm. cult is it's, I've found that it's a lot more difficult. So I'll literally just try to like, do a couple pages this week uh, and or switch instead of doing like one or two a day of right. each one. So. so you can kind of like ride the momentum on one project yeah. at a time. And yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> do you find yourself if like, let's say you're really rolling on one project in one week and you're about to go into like the next week or whatever, you're going to a different time where you're going to switch projects, but you like really have stuff that you feel like you're figuring out. Do you just sort of keep writing it or do you kind of force yourself to switch? If I do it, I'll like do it on the weekend in my own time because I have done that before. Where I'm like, I'm actually like having a great time, especially True right. Cult. Like, I have such a great time drawing that, and like, yeah. no, like I can, you know, see the characters like speaking visually or whatever. So it's just like easy to do that. So I'll just right. be like, oh, Saturday, I have nothing to do. It'll be great. <laughs> I'll just like throw Netflix on in the background and sure, sure, hang out. Are you able to, when you're roughing out your pages, obviously like inking is one of those things that I feel like a lot of people can do with something in the background, but when you're roughing and trying to figure out layouts and stuff, are you able to still have like something in the background? Oh God, no, no, no. I need like, I literally like almost have to turn my phone off, turn everything else off. It's so like, I can't even (laughs) really listen to music, honestly. I've tried listening to podcasts and stuff. Nope. Definitely not that music. Yeah. Totally. It's almost more than writing, I feel like. In writing, I'm not really able to do very well with stuff on in the background, especially oh, if yeah. I'm like writing a first draft. But like roughing out a page is like, ma- like I could literally, if a noise happens in the house, I will like get derailed. It's like <laughs> <Yeah>. crazy. It's- <laughs> it's- I feel like that's definitely like a either a creative, uh, maybe an ADHD thing, or also <laughs> like definitely something that I've noticed where I've you know, like if I hear the laundry thing go off, I'm like, oh, well, gotta, gotta go. Gotta get up and do it. Yeah. No other choice. I'll thinking about it the entire time, you know? Yep, totally. Yeah. It's How do you so right. Because like I've found, especially with writing more, mm-hmm. I only have like a golden hour and it's literally right after I wake up, put a pot of coffee on and I'm like, okay, I have like a good two hours. Oh my God. That's it. That's the only time or on a Sunday night. Okay. Haven't figured that out why, but I wish that was my golden hour. I've tried to make that my golden hour. My golden hour seems to be um, when my girlfriend is ready to go to sleep. So That's like 1 or 2 a.m. You're like, All truly, right, yeah. I'm yeah. like, I actually have a, I, and, and she gets so pissed about it because we'll be like winding down for the night and she's like ready to like shut down and like go into sleep yep. world. And I just start fucking going. My brain is just like, oh, but what if, oh, it's like the thematics yeah. of this thing and like, what does this mean? If I, what, maybe I can like bring this thing out in this scene and like set something up for like, it just yep. starts going. And she's like, shut up. I need to sleep. What the hell are you doing? Um, but I, I mean, 
it's it's tough with my job and I, I I've lately been doing a lot better at it and I think it's just been the frustration of like I looked at 2020 and was like how much did I get done in 2020 and I spent six months of the year unemployed right and obviously so much of that was like looking for work constantly yeah. and just like applying for jobs emailing people and stuff so that took up a lot of mental power but like I was pretty pissed off at myself when I looked at 2020 and realized like how little I had accomplished creatively um and so I think that in 2021 I like got a lot more disciplined about organizing it and, and it's definitely worked and what i found is that for my process like what i need to do is just spit it the fuck out longhand at first like whatever the story is just to like basically just open up a word document and just type like no formatting just paragraph after paragraph of like here's the whole way yeah yeah it's well i think it works it's kind of like talking about roughing out pages where it's like you're starting out with something that's very scattered very like un you know like it's giving you way too much and whatever but you're finding it and then by the time you've finished like that sort of beginning middle and end of a long document you kind of see all the checkpoints you see like what you're ending up at ways that you can improve setting it up and then you can whittle your way down and create because i'll go from that finally long do thing. an outline yeah exactly yeah i'll go from <laughs> yeah, yeah. that long thing into like a very short outline and then yeah. when you're looking at that outline you see even clearly even more clearly like oh okay this thing's not really serving anything or this thing like deviates from the point of this issue or this episode or whatever change that out swap it out and then you can go from that really really condensed concise line back into like a longer script exactly and i find for me it like it helps a lot i don't know about you oh 100 percent. i've actually not really talked a lot about the reason why i don't like look into or listen to other writers talk about their process and stuff like right. that because i was like i already have to focus so much on drawing right now and learn <laughs> sure, yeah. more because like i want to improve my craft all the time like right nothing's Same. good enough always have to overachiever um i, so, I feel that 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. so like writing like obviously because i've been able to collaborate with friends and stuff like that i'm like okay this is good right mm-hmm. like you can tell me yeah, <laughs> be straight with me usually it's good because yeah. you know i've learned how to express uh my visual storytelling in words which is great so mm-hmm. it works but I thinking about taking any type of class for writing beyond I actually took Ramdi's uh, thought bubble workshop, which oh, right, was super yeah. helpful and incredibly great because I know that he thinks visually like an artist as well. Right. And he's an artist too. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's funny that you said all that because I've never really resonated with another writer about <laughs> literally just word vomiting on a page. Right. And then moving that over, I've literally only ever talked to Joe about that or shown <laughs> any of my like weird right. pages to him. And that's it. Like right. <laughs> half of the time, like I just wrapped up a like version two or three of a script um, that somebody's drawing right now. Uh-huh. And I, even in version one, I was like stressing out, sending it to like, you know, even like Scott to be like, Hey, can right. you look at this real quick? Does this sound good? Whatever. And like, yeah. you know, get like a real sense of, am I doing what's effective in these six pages? Right. Right. Um, and that should be not even a thing that I think about is how it's formatted. Right. Or like, really, I just need to think about, am I executing the story well? And so that's, that was exactly my hang up truly for like the longest time. And I have, you know, like one of the comics that I, I, uh, there's, there's a comic that I wrote four years ago, um, that like, you know, the, the artist I'm working with, we're, we're co-creators on it and, you know, he's, he has a full-time job. And so it's just sort of been like, as he can finish pages, he's going. And now we're finally like just about nearing, you know, finishing the thing. And it's interesting looking back at it because it's like a fully different writer wrote that. And that was, I was, I wrote it from that same mindset you're talking about of like making sure that it was formatted correctly and do it like just such a backwards process from what I do now. 
and looking forward to like okay continuing this like we have this full first issue the the goal is to you know like shop it around and and um probably kickstart it and like see where we can go from there and looking at like okay now it's time for me to like write the next chapter of this and figure that out and and like being a totally different writer now it's it's really interesting but it but it does help the process to because i think there's that raw expression that comes out when you're writing long form like that the unadulterated like open mind like you know just expressive thought there is some some beauty that you'll find in it i'm sure you've seen in the things that you've written like yeah something you you end up expressing something that you didn't expect to express and so then when you're going in to like revise and, and consolidate that into like some form of outline, you're like, this is a thing that I really want to keep because I feel like I tapped into whatever I was trying to say here. And yeah. I can kind of now center things around whatever this thing is. I don't That's know. That's exactly how Seeds of Eden. I mean, like I would word vomit. Uh, Joe and I would hop on a call. I'd like right. type literally the entire call, like what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> yep. And then I would go back in after we've hung up, be like, all right, all of this. Yeah. All right, all of this. And he would kind of take it and be like, okay. And like, you know, kind of puzzle piece it together. And then we'd review the whole thing and write it almost again together, right. which is really cool before sending it off to Sebastian right. and Sebastian, like really just pumping up, like, uh, this is great. Like use this. What about this? You know, things like that. Right. And so, uh, especially the planning phase, one of the things that Ram had talked about in his workshop that I was like, okay, when I finally do write full issues as opposed to these shorts and things like that, he literally said, like, I think he writes stuff down on post-it notes or Mm -hmm. like uh, draws weird things that he just comes up with, puts (laughs) it all up somewhere and then utilizes them and then puts them where they're supposed to go. So it's like literally what we're talking about, but digitally, right? Like typing it on a page. Yeah. And so um, I actually have the wall behind me. Um, completely empty because when I either draw a book, I put up every single page and when I finish a page, I take it down. Or if I'm thinking about something when I'm writing it or whatever, I'll just put it on the sticky note. And then like, eventually it's something that I can keep and put with my book or whatever when it's published or whatever. So totally. That's really interesting. It's something that like I'm, I'm next week is my last week in New York for like the next few months. And I'm kind of looking forward to being in, one place for an extended period of time because I can kind of get back. Like I've had to make so much of my process very portable, very, you know, concise that I can sort of bring it with me in a backpack or whatever. Uh, And so I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to like do things like that again, like spread things out visually, put up sticky notes, like, you know, that kind of, and I used to write like for most of the things that I wrote, the early, you know, comics and and things that I wrote, all of my outlines and early thoughts of being a notebook. I was about Um, to say, do you have notebooks per project? I, I, I used to do that. And now it's all in like my, I have an Evernote account that just has separate like Evernote notebooks, which kind of helps, but there is, you lose a little bit of that. I'm sure, you know, like when you're a visual thinker, you'll kind of like, oh, absolutely. You know? And so you lose a bit of that. And I've found certain ways to organize it, but not in a way that I find satisfactory compared to notebooks. Um, and I kind of want to get back to that, like longhand writing uh, uh, stuff, but we'll see. That's uh, one of the reasons why I can't do apps like Evernote or Trello or anything mm-hmm. like that, because like I will, it will be lost completely sure. to me. Right. You know, unless I'm seeing it every single day. Like, yeah. I, I definitely check in on my Evernote every day now because I, I mean, part of it is that I have like a lot of debt, like I, I, part of that kicking my ass thing of like looking at my 2020 and being disappointed was like, okay, this year, like I'm 
going to just do a bunch of like writing competitions and so like i have all these constant deadlines that are just coming up and so every day i kind of have to check in in order to like keep up with it um and so i'm constantly checking in on my evernote which is great now and i i use it for like my notes on the podcast and like a bunch of other stuff too um and so it's a thing that i'm i kind of constantly have open at this point and i think that helps keep me engaged because i can kind of always see it there no matter what i'm doing i was about to joke be like evernote sponsor comic book workshop (laughs) i know (laughs) i I mean hey (laughs) (laughs) i've always wanted to make sure that it's like anyone that does sponsor the show i've always wanted it to be relevant to like what it is and so evernote i feel like would be someone that i'd be okay because i've had a couple of people reach out and it's like i'm not i'm not here to sell you know a mattress or like you know (laughs) things for people who are losing their hair like you know all power to it nothing against mattresses and, and hair loss products but like i just don't i i don't think that that's the stuff that i really want to be like trying to hawk you know yeah it'd be a weird show. workaround like do you want to draw well does your back need to be good Forget yeah totally yeah. like you know i, I just uh, i don't like it and so i i basically only advertise stuff that's like art supplies and you know like digital packages and and nice. shit like that but anyway um well so as we're as we're starting to get near the end i do want to talk about she said destroy uh because it was an amazing book and i think for a lot of people who know your work i think a lot of people discovered you through this book um what was the experience on this book like i mean how much comics work had you done up to this point um prior to that it was uh devil's die which was a four issue miniseries and the mine anthology and i think like a couple anthologies okay like a handful like everything is going wrong and um all we ever wanted, I think, right. was the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was your first, like, I mean, I guess you had done, you had done Devil's Die, which was a, a yeah. four. So, so yeah, creator owned. It's at least to some degree. Is it still like ongoing, or is it basically those five issues or the or the whole story? So far, it's those five issues. Like okay. Joe and I definitely have tons of ideas. Like even before we wrote or we uh, had this all laid out, mm-hmm. um, we were already talking about like sequels prequels you know things like that right. how we could build the universe because like why wouldn't you right of course you know? yeah that's what um, you always do and yeah no so far it's just that which you can still get um of course. which is in print so it's a great book there's a whole volume so did joe approach you with the the project or was it yeah like i yeah. remember i was in a target and he called me wow. and was like hey i'm working on this thing i think you'd be really good for it it's like Wicked and Divine, but like Final Fantasy. And I was like, <laughs> sign me the fuck up. Like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And he was like, Space Castles, blah, blah, blah. And Hell I was yeah. like, stop talking. I already said yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm so fucking ready for this. Right. And so we had started on the character designs. And the Morrigan was the first one that I started. And I was like, this is everything my 12 year old me wanted, like, was <laughs> to just draw my own Final Fantasy character. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so excited. Just. Oh my God. <laughs> and even looking back on it now, I'm like, not a lot I would change. Right. I yeah. would definitely like punch it up, but like, kudos, high five to Pass Liana. Like, honestly, <laughs> so it's, good. It's such a great book. Were you always interested in that, in like sort of sci fi fantasy, like, you know, kind of that, that more operatic flavor of sci fi? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Especially, you know, Star Wars is like my favorite of license, probably. You yeah. know, of all time. That, Blade Runner, you know, all that. Of course. So Star Wars being like sci-fi fantasy, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Did and to do that without being influenced by Star Wars whatsoever, that was really difficult. I'm sure. Like, you know, and I think that's where like my staple, like 
because of Rebecca, the staple neon colors and everything. Like right. I always draw neon stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why we gravitated towards her. Cause like I saw her work and I was like, I am obsessed, <laughs> obsessed. She's so good. Right. Yeah. So. No, it's, it's brilliant. Did you, did you find, cause I, I think one thing that's really interesting is, is um, whenever I look at, or like every once in a while, I'll, I'll kind of do like a sketch to, to, study or recreate like you know a cover or an image or an illustration and obviously on she said destroy you had some tribute covers uh and i'm i'm curious if doing those tribute covers helped unlock anything for you like in your own process or just like illustratively like if there was anything you learned from kind of like doing tributes to other artists work i have done some vault homage covers so actually the fiona staples homage cover was actually done by Nathan Gooden. Ah, oh, sure. Uh, who's like a, oh no, I mean like it's great because his style is so versatile that mm-hmm. it fit perfectly with our series like right. perfectly. And yeah. I, you're not the first person to think like that I drew it. So, <laughs> which makes me feel great. I myself on the details and so now I'm pissed but because, also yeah. Oh no, it makes me feel great because Nathan is like an incredible artist and I love <laughs> his work a lot. So it's a great compliment to me. <laughs> but I have done like, um, I actually did a witching hour variant for the plot for right. Vault and a couple other ones i love doing homage variants because it is truly like a study in a composition and then make it yours you know what i mean so even like if i see other friends publishing like homage variants i go for that immediately you know what i mean to like to see like how they manage to pick certain things or colors or change the palette or anything like that right yeah um and i think it's kind of cool too to like revisit the classics and then like amp them up you know yeah. what I mean? To like totally spin it in what's current and new now. And it's so. something I really love that Vault consistently does. Like I know there's, I've seen some people be a little negative about it, but I think it's always really interesting to see like classic imagery reinterpreted through all these different like worlds and universes Absolutely. and artists. Yeah. Um, so as you're working on this graphic novel right now, I mean, how, how far into the process of making this are you? And I know obviously there's a lot you can't say, but, but of what you can say, feel free to, you know, leave out whatever details necessary, but how far, you know, percentage wise. So I think it's, it's completely written. Um, okay. it's by co-writers. Um, if you go back on my Twitter and like research <laughs> aggressively, you'll know who it is. Um, <laughs> It is actually with a colorist that I have collaborated with before and I have drawn a chapter already. So that's been really cool because like a lot of graphic novels, I feel like take a really long time to produce. And because we, uh, I think all of us on the team are so used to like uh, monthlies. Mm-hmm. it's just kind of easy for us to be like bam 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 and like our editor right. is amazing so it's been you know kind of nice to like do a chapter here or sure. like a couple pages here and then like i'm working on the second chapter i think next week wow. um in between like working on true cult and stuff like that so it's That's really cool. fun is yeah. it is it a, an original story or, or licensed it is an original story yeah Ooh. That's exciting. What, what's uh, what's kind of the target for for when this thing will be uh, announced slash released? I think it's going to be announced in like maybe a month or two Ooh. from now. So released, oh, I think next year because it's book market. So okay. I still am not familiar with book market stuff completely. Um, you and me both. So that'll be a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot yeah. more book market stuff kind of happening lately between, you know, Abrams and Simon and Schuster and all these other publishers oh, yeah. that are doing Mergers it now. Oh, like yeah, and direct producer or direct uh, 
you know what we're yeah, yeah. trying to say. Like, <laughs> no, I feel you. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's really interesting seeing how the market is evolving with that stuff. Um, is there what what have you found thus far working on this project? Has kind of like which muscles has it sort of been stretching that you hadn't previously been stretching? Being looser with everything. Okay. Like I'm trying to make it very. What's the word? Like I want my style to be looser, and mm-hmm. I am drawing. Um, a whole bunch of sci-fi stuff. So it's not really realism. Right. And so it's really fun because like there are humans, but then I get to draw a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. So it's kind of like cartoony for me. And so this is like a huge step in a direction that I haven't really explored yet. And I'm so stoked because the entire team I essentially know. So I can explore like in a safe, fun area, like a play box that like literally like they can help push me in areas or be like, do this, do this. And it's been really cool. I think that's a cool thing about just your body of work is that like, there is so much sort of bouncing between different genres where like, you'll have these very like high, you know, sci-fi, like fantasy sort of things. And then also something like true cult. That's like very grounded, you know, also still has like sort of like, you know, horror elements to it and things like that. But it's like a very, you know, sort of real world familiar setting. And like, it's just, it's really cool to see that kind of like, um, um, I don't know, modulation. I don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like Drawing between real stuff is so fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. I could draw like a franchise fast food restaurant for, for forever. <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? Like, it's just right. really, it's weird because you can play with when, like when you were talking about the storyboard artist for like Wes Anderson and my eyes went big because like, <laughs> I, I feel like that's how I execute my drawings in this book. Right. Because I'm like, you know, big fan of his work or whatever. And like his film work has very much influenced how I space out and like compose a lot of my panels and things like that. So I would love to do that just because like, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like drawing this stuff is more film like for me. Right. Versus like cartoon fun uh fluid storytelling you know right. what i mean yeah yeah yeah. I, I i totally get what you mean i think like there's there's a lot of stuff in your work that i really enjoy that plays with sort of the pacing of a static composition you know where you're sort of like you're using a, a, a repetitive composition but then moving around the elements within that composition to create whatever effect that you're going for whether it's comedy whether it's suspense whatever yeah. like there's a lot of and i found it like truly in in, in true cult especially there's so much really really effective pacing done that way for for various different effects and it was something that was really um not only astonishing but also enlightening to me particularly in issue one there's the scene where the cops show up uh, mm-hmm. uh at the um at the fast at, at the fast food place like there's so much tension in those pages and that's something that to me i i absolutely love the feeling of tension and like my heart racing and stuff and like i had you know as a teenager I had, <laughs> it's so nice like but you know and, and i think i'm activated by like specific cop crime tension like as a teenager yeah. i had my own little history there and it feels very familiar and like but but like reading through those three or four pages and just being like what what is about to happen and like <laughs> the, the composition helped that so much uh, because you're looking at these things and you're kind of seeing every moment play out and, and, and whatever is, and I'm, I still am like trying to fully process it to know why every element of why it's creating that effect in me. But like, it really felt so visceral and I understood exactly where his head was at and, and, and between the dialogue, the composition and, and just the pacing of it and letting that moment last for as long mm-hmm. as it does 
you know, and not, I think a lot of people get afraid that they're spending too much time on something and that like, and the, and, and if their tension is start like that, they, the writer themselves or the artist themselves is almost like feeling the tension too much and they just want to release it. Mm-hmm. And it felt like you guys had like a lot of restraint to let it kind of play out for as, as long as you did. Um, the fact know, that I you brought it. up those pages, you know how I was like so stressed to like make a page be like <laughs> a certain, those two pages are like the bar that I set for myself because when I finished those pages, I'm not mm. even kidding you. I immediately called Scott and I was like, listen, I need you to look at these pages. I'm so proud of them. And they he were was so like, good. Oh my God, like freaking out. And I was like, I just like, that is when I knew like our voice of mm-hmm. like storytelling for that entire series. And like, obviously set the bar for myself. Right. You know, for anything else I do. But like, I'm really glad you said that because uh, <laughs> it just not to say that I've derived from personal experience, but I won't say that I didn't derive from uh-huh. personal experience. It felt um, very or- <laughs> lived in. It felt familiar, Liana, is all I'm going to say. It felt very familiar. You know, you've been a mall rat before. So it just I had mm-hmm. like this extreme mall rat energy of right. like, I've seen so many things and experienced so many things that like. You know what it's like when you're growing up as a kid and you don't, you never want to mess up. You never yeah. want to like disappoint anybody and you don't yeah. want to get in trouble because yeah. you don't know what that's going to be like. Mm-hmm. That's what I was like thinking the entire time drawing that was like, yeah. how do you know when you really fucked up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I still don't know if I've ever felt like that. You know, I think I have in a lot of different cases, but different ways of that. So maybe that's how that translated. I mean, look, I and I, I won't get too um into detail here and and anything I say, you know, it's all, um, whatever, but I certainly at a certain point was a teenager sitting in a fast food restaurant, watching cops pull up and realizing that that might be bad news for me. (laughs) (laughs) And so it felt very lived in and it felt very honest. It was a similar reaction. I, I, when I watched the movie good time for the first time, which I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I don't um, think I have. It's it's a Safety Brothers movie with Robert Pattinson. It's really really good. It's about um um sort of this like really petty piece of shit uh, thief who kind of like and fucks over everyone who enters his life in this weird devilish kind of way. But like, um, it felt a lot like that movie where I was like watching something play out that felt so lived in and familiar, and like you kind of watch it and you and you know that there's an honesty in the expression that is hard to fake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just, it was so familiar and like really just, just, uh, got me in, in that, and just such a good example of stretching the taffy, like really letting it kind of get tense before breaking it and, and folding it. Like, it's just, yeah. right. So good. Um, I was about to say who hasn't been stopped by the cops for like skateboarding. Totally. Or, right. Know, yeah. Like even like on that. minor levels, there's always an, an experience that you can have that will like play into those emotions. Right. Um, Anyway, Liana, we are uh, getting near time here and about to wrap up. So before I ask you the, the last question we ask on the show, let's get the plugs out of the way. Let let people know, like, what can they look for? What can they find? Obviously, you have a podcast, Comics Inebriated, which I meant to bring up with, with yeah. past guest Matt Emmons. Uh, that's a great podcast. People need to listen to it. Um, but but yeah, let, let people know what they should be seeking out. Well, um, True Cult is nearing, you know, we just had the penultimate issue. Issue three is going to be out here shortly, and you can get that on Gumroad. Um, If you back the Kickstarter, obviously, you'll have links to that. Um, But issue four will obviously be out before the end of the year, and that is, you know, my baby, my pride and joy (laughs) with the team. They are amazing. Um, I'm currently working on a graphic novel, um, and I think... 
think you can find the Star Wars stuff soon. So that would be really cool. Uh, pre-order Star Wars Adventures number seven with your comic shop. Hell yeah. Um, and I stream every Tuesday on Twitch. I usually am doing a commission, wrapping up my commission list right now or doing a cover mm-hmm. um, and talk to really rad people. So like, I'd oh, love yeah. to have you on that. That would be really fun. I would love to be on anytime. Um, and same with Comics Inebriated. Comics Inebriated oh, yeah. comes out every two weeks uh, where we interview people. Uh, sometimes we're drinking sometimes not not always um where we just talk about one weird you know drunk history style uh thing in comics so that's my favorite shit truly i've been loving uh uh listening to it and there's definitely i have i have material in my head uh okay you know matt matt brought it up at one point and so i started kind of thinking about it and there's comics history is my favorite thing and there's so many things from comics history that i'm like oh yeah Matt is um, the best. I also have a pinup in uh, his Gardner Kickstarter. So if you oh, miss yeah. out on the Kickstarter, obviously he'll have it probably for sale at some point in the next Somewhere. couple months. But yeah. <laughs> and then uh, on Twitter, Instagram, what's your uh, what's your handle? Uh, Liana Kangas for all of it. So L I A N A K A N G A S. Well, Liana, the last question I ask everyone who comes on the show is, why do you love comics? It's the best medium. I just fucking love comics. <laughs> exclamation point exclamation point (laughs) it's literally like how lucky are we to meet so many cool creators and cool people and like make resonating stories that Mm. make you feel extremely anxious and tension worthy (laughs) like you know what i mean how it's the best thing ever thank you so much to liana for joining the show make sure you follow her at liana kangas on twitter instagram i don't know she's probably on uh, tiktok or something she is on twitch actually so make sure you follow her on twitch um great great twitch channel uh go listen to uh comics inebriated as well a wonderful podcast uh her and matt emmons co-host it um it's a, a great show and uh like truly one that i every time there's a new episode i'm listening right away um thank you to chris ryan for the new music that you have heard throughout the show uh incredible composer i love chris so much make sure you go follow him at hi chris ryan on twitter and chris ryan music on instagram um and thanks to gold union printing for supporting the show check out goldunionprinting.com and use the promo code comic book workshop for five percent off uh thanks once more to all of you for listening i know that you know my release schedule is uh is super inconsistent you know i I do this show whenever I ab- whenever I can, you know, whenever I have the time, whenever I can line up an interview, and then also whenever I can find the time to edit and, you know, throw in the stuff like this that you're hearing right now and all that, like, takes up time. I've got a crazy schedule, uh, and I'm also, you know, like, uh, a super up-and-down person, and I'm working on a million things, and maybe that's not a good habit. Uh, but whatever it is, thank you all for listening to the show. I really appreciate that, like... You know, as far as the numbers show, that you are all willing to come along on this uh, inconsistent release schedule, and that's something that I greatly appreciate um, because it, it it lets me know that there's something in the show that you are all um, finding useful and and hopefully maybe even entertaining. I don't know. Um, but you know, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you follow the show at TMBC workshop on Twitter and Instagram and follow me at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram. If you're liking the show, then please, please, please 
leave a, a rating or a review. Um, those are super helpful, you know, whatever podcast app you're using. If you can uh, drop that rating and review, it will help people find the show. Um, and I love it when people can find the show. And I'm sure you do. I'm sure you were very thankful that you were able to find the show through whichever, you know, podcast uh, source that you had or whatever, social media, whatever. You know, we, we all are looking for something out there to help us get to that next step. And, and even sometimes just let us know that we're not the only ones thinking about or struggling with whatever creative thing that we're, we're uh, going through. And so if, if you leave a rating or a review, uh, it will really help the show uh, find a bigger audience and hopefully, you know, bring that same thing, whatever you're getting out of the show, hopefully it will bring to other people as well. Um, that's all that I have this week. So uh, I don't know, freaking get, get back to the drawing board. That might be cool.com. You never know.